Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. There's so much to talk about every week. I'm going to start with something different this week. We all hear about Trump every day, and I'm going to talk about Trump and some of his escapades worldwide during the show, but there's some interesting things that occurred only in the last day or two concerning Key West and a couple of things 50 to 70 years ago. And I'm going to share them with you now uh, because it's Key West and we all love Key West. TripAdvisor, TripAdvisor. I, I find I don't even believe what I'm going to share with you now. It's so exciting. You know, TripAdvisor evaluates restaurants, bars, hotels, theaters, communities, et cetera, et cetera. Well, TripAdvisor, right now, go look at it when the show's over. In three separate instances, have designated Key West as number one, starting with this. Key West, most excellent place to travel worldwide. Numero uno, Key West. TripAdvisor says is the most excellent place to travel worldwide. Not two, three, or four, number one. It says Key West, and I quote, is the cream of the crop. Then they also, TripAdvisor, said that Key West was number one as regarding most excellent cities for restaurants. Most excellent cities for restaurants. We have the best restaurants in the world. We're number one. And that's our cook. Our, our, our chefs are terrific here. Our restaurants are good. I want to tell you something. Uh, I'm bragging a little bit. The restaurants are good here. Uh, and I'll tell you this, too. The cheaper ones, you know, the <laughs> I get a terrific lunch some days for $4.39 at a Cuban cafe. Uh, now you say, how can you do $4.39? I have a large uh, Cuban cheese toast with tomato, butter all over it, and a Diet Coke. And it cost me $4.39. I'm full, and it's absolutely delicious. And then we have the high-end restaurants, which I enjoy also, and they're terrific. But Key West uh, has the most excellent, is the city with the most excellent restaurants in the world. And the third one is, and, you know, their their classifications get a little screwy here. Uh, It's Key West is the most excellent city in the world, period. You know, not for restaurants, not to travel too worldwide, but most excellent cities in the world, Key West is number one again. This is wonderful. It's a credit to the people who work their asses off down here. i got to tell you, we're a tourist industry. That's all we are. And to appreciate what I'm saying, you have to sit at a bar some night, any bar, and watch the bartenders work. I have never seen people work so hard, so fast, and with such dedication. It's constant movement for eight hours. I don't know how they do it, male, female, and they love these jobs. They make a hell of a lot of money with the tips, especially the better restaurants. And these people get these jobs. They keep them 15, 20, 30 years. They would not give them up. So they all did good. We got good chefs, et cetera. I'm proud of the community. I hope everyone gets to know in the next day or two what I'm announcing here. I have not seen this information yet in our Key West Citizen. I don't know why. I picked it up uh, last night, 
and uh, it's good. It's good. Come visit us. Now, give me, let me give you a little local storytelling here. Ernest Hemingway, big man in our town. Let's face it, we got Hemingway House. He lived here 10 years. Uh, he completed a farewell to arms while he was here. He wrote a couple of short stories. Um, he probably put us on the map. Uh, he was a fisherman, he was a drinker, he cavorted with women, even though he's married, he had four wives, and I don't know how many girlfriends along the way, uh, and hung out at Sloppy Joe's with his buddy Sloppy Joe. Uh, here's the story on him. Ernest Hemingway, when he was 18 years old, this is for real, uh, the United States was not yet in World War One. he wanted to get involved, so he joined the Red Cross, and they sent him to Italy to drive an ambulance in the war zone. Uh, and on some day in 1918, I, I think it was July 8th or 9th, it was recent, in 1918, a mortar shell went off near him and blew the hell out of his right knee. He spent six months in the hospital. Hemingway spent six months in the hospital in Milan. Uh, there was a nurse there by the name of Agnes Von Kurowski, Von Kurowski, an American citizen working as a nurse in, in the war zone there. And she took care of him, and they fell in love. They had a meretricious relationship while he, he's convalescing between operations. Uh, they took a trip to, uh, let's see, what was the name of the town uh, on Lake Majeure? They went to Stressa, S-T-R-E-S-A, spent a week there at the Grand Hotel while he was convalescing, and they, they had a hot time. Uh, I've been to the Grand Hotel there a couple of times, and I visited the bar room where he drank that week. Uh, unfortunately, the bar room's no longer a bar room. It's a little room in the back they use for a storeroom, but because I was asking where did he stay, where did he drink, they took me back there. Be that as it may, uh, when he wrote A Farewell to Arms, he himself, the character Frederick Henry, was really Ernest Hemingway. And the nurse that Frederick Henry was in love with was Catherine Barclay, was named Catherine Barclay, and that was Agnes. Okay? Now, Hemingway gets better. He's shipped back to the United States. She's going to follow soon after, and they're going to get married. But instead of marrying, she sends him a Dear John love letter. She fell in love with somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. And he had great pain. And make a long story short, he never saw her again. And he went on to four wives and a lot of relationships. Now, he left Key West. I forget what year uh, Hemingway left Key West, but he was here 10 years. He may have left 1940, a little bit earlier, a little bit later, but he left Key West. He moved to Cuba while he was, and he spent the rest of his life basically in Cuba. But he used to come back to Key West to visit periodically. He wanted to visit Sloppy Joe. He may go to the fights. He was big in watching the fights we had down here at the time. Uh, so he did his drinking. He did his cavorting with some women here, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in 1951, who moves to Key West? Agnes von Karofsky. Yeah, she came and lived in Key West. I don't believe she came here to meet Hemingway again. 
she probably knew he was gone, or maybe she didn't pay any attention. She had been a nurse, didn't enjoy it. Now she had become uh, a librarian. She was educated as a librarian. She went to work in our, our library, or our local library, for, for nine or ten years. Lived in the house on Eisenhower Street, bought a house on Eisenhower Street. During the trips, when Hemingway came to visit, history tells us he never knew she was here. If she knew he was here, she never contacted him. This whole thing's strange, but this is the way it worked out, and this is what they tell us. Hemingway's dead now. Agnes is still living here. One of Hemingway's wives was Pauline Pfeiffer. Sloppy Joe and Pauline were tight. They were close friends. And before Hemingway left for Cuba, he filled up a room with boxes loaded with manuscripts, letters, papers of all kinds. And Sloppy Joe got in contact with Pauline and says, hey, I got all your husband's stuff here. He still referred to her, to him as her husband. Uh, if you want him, stop by sometime. I don't know what's in there. Uh, maybe valuable stuff, interesting. And some of it was. There were, there were several manuscripts in there that had never been published. Uh, also in one of the boxes were Hemingway and Agnes's love letters to each other. Pauline found out that Agnes was living in Key West. She brought the letters to Agnes, and she says, here, these are yours. The women became dear friends, by the way. And that's the story about Agnes and Hemingway and Pauline in their later lives. And it's just, I don't know if it's sad or wrong, they didn't come together again, but he never knew, and if she knew, she didn't want to have the relationship uh, come together again. Now I'm going to go to 1962, John Kennedy, President of the United States. Uh, you recall that during World War II, uh, he was the captain of a PT boat, PT-109, and the, the PT boat got shot to hell someplace in the Pacific, and he was able to get his men to an island, and he did all kinds of daring things to make sure that uh, some of his fellow seamen knew they were there. It was a very dangerous thing he did off this uh, island in the Pacific. And they made it into a movie, PT-109. Uh, one of the movie uh, conglomerates had agreed to do the movie. They were looking for an island to film it at. And then in 1952, we were having the Cuban crisis. And John Kennedy was down here uh, looking over installations because whether you realize it or not, in 1952, and there are pictures all over of this, Smathers Beach was full of artir uh, artillery, big guns facing towards Cuba because if they were going to invade us, we were going to blow them out of the water. It was wartime here. Anyhow, when Kennedy was here, uh, he was transported around by John Spotswood, uh, a man of great distinction, uh, an icon, a legendary figure in Key West. His family is still here. They, 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 they're very big people in the, in the town. They're loving people. They're helping people. Everything good about them. Well, anyhow, John Spotswood at the time uh, had been sheriff for eight or ten years. And next, the following year, he became a state senator for eight or ten years. So he was active in Democratic politics. He knew John Kennedy. John Kennedy stayed at his house 
when he was here. He stayed with John Spotswood and his wife. Anyhow, they're riding around, and Spotswood says, hey, Mr. President, I understand you're making the movie. Uh, you need an island. I've got the island. I own this little island about 30 miles up the Keys called Munson Island. I think it would be perfect for the movie. Why don't you get in touch with the Hollywood people, have them take a look at it, and see if anything can occur. Well, Hollywood liked it. The movie was made at John Spotswood Island called Munson Island. Now, let me tell you what Munson Island is today. Munson Island is Little Palm Island. For those of you familiar with this area, it is probably, it's considered the world's finest resort and most expensive resort. Very few people hear of it. It's small and intimate. I think they only have 11 cottages. Magnificent, beautiful. And it turned into this very elegant thing called Little Palm Island, which unfortunately, uh, Irma, the Hurricane Irma blew the thing away. They're into their second year now of reconstructing. It may take another year. It just took Leveled the island, Irma. But that's the story of Munson Island, now Little Palm Island, and that's where the movie PT-109 was made. These are the things that are interesting about Key West. Now I'm going to move on here, and I want to talk about China and North Korea for a moment. Uh, We're in the tariff war with China. We're not going to win. They're not going to win. Nobody wins the tariff war, but I think China's going to come out a little bit ahead of us on this. Uh, uh, China recently issued a statement where they said the United States, they didn't say Trump, they said the United States has, quote, delusions, delusions. We're going to get hurt in this. We're already getting hurt in this tariff war because the biggest exporter of soybeans to China is the United States. Sixty percent of our soybeans that are grown in several states in our country go to China. Well, there's a 25% tariff on the soybeans, and China ain't buying our soybeans. They've already told us, and they've already made arrangements that from this point forward, they're buying their soybeans from Brazil. Brazil came out ahead on this one. Then there's lobsters. You've got Maine lobsters, and down here we have Florida lobsters. We, we don't have Maine lobsters. They don't grow in our waters, but we, we do have our spiny lobsters, and we refer to them as spiny lobsters or Florida lobsters. Now, whether it's a Maine lobster or it's a Florida lobster, I don't know how many hundreds of million dollars a year of lobsters are shipped from the United States to China. Well, they ain't going to buy our lobsters anymore, whether they're Florida or Maine lobsters, because of the 25% tariff. Our lobster business is here in the Keys. Maine's already complaining, and the Keys is going to suffer dramatically. Uh, many families, many people live off of fishing the lobsters down here, of harvesting them, and they ain't going to sell. What are they going to do with all these lobsters, whether they're Maine lobsters or Florida lobsters? The same thing, the soybeans. What the hell are we going to do with all these soybeans? Who's going to buy the quantity that's going to be involved? And these were states, let me tell you. I think all but one of the states to grow soybeans went with red, went for Trump in the last election. They ain't going to go for Trump in the next election, I don't believe. What bothers me, though, is those that love Trump continue to love Trump. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I saw something the other day I read where the farmers in one of the states were saying, 
to grow soybeans and are going to take a beating, and they know it. And they were saying, this is wartime. We're in a war with China. We have to do our part. And we believe that Trump will not let us get hurt. He will do something, supplement somehow, so we don't get beat up economically in this situation. Good luck. That's what I have to say. Now, let me stay with this uh, tariff situation with China. And wherever else we're going to have a tariff problem, we're going to have them with Canada, we're having them with the European Union. I'm smiling as I say this, but this isn't funny. The people of America have to wake up and realize this is horrible, a tariff war. Let me tell you about the last great tariff war, and then you draw your own conclusions, because history repeats itself. I know history. Most of you know history. You read history. Unfortunately, Trump does not read, I don't believe. He can read, but he doesn't. We know that. And I don't think he's a student of history. Because Hoover became president, I think, in 1928, Herbert Hoover. Uh, the stock market was doing terrific, just like it's doing now. It, even with the, the tariff situation, it started, they were down a, few, a couple of thousand points. Now it's come back. It's doing good. The market was doing terrific. Everyone was making money. Success for everyone. Hoover thought we should have tariffs imposed on other countries. Uh, he was a smart man. He'd become rich. He knew finances, and he thought tariffs would work. So he put tariffs on everybody, on goods going out to all these countries. And with one, within one year, what happened? The Great Depression of 1929, Black Friday, the market dropped dramatically and didn't come back until World War II, 10 or 11 years later. All right? And I believe, I've said this before, I've written about it, I'm not an economist. I'm a student of history. I think we are heading, I believe we are heading for another recession if these, this tariff situation continues between the major countries of the world. And we'll see this in about a year. And the market ain't going to stay up. The economy's not going to be good. I hope it doesn't get as bad as 1929, but I believe it is coming. North Korea. <laughs> Kim took advantage of Trump. We all knew this. I said it. I wasn't the only one. Trump can't stand up to this guy. Trump does not get prepared for these these meetings. He believes he's been a negotiator all his life. He's dealt with people all his life in business. He knows how to handle a guy like Kim. Well, Kim has embarrassed him tremendously. Trump walked out of that meeting and says there's no problem with North Korea. There's not going to be any war. We're friends. We understood each other. What is it now, a month later? <laughs> and North Korea's mad at us, uh, saying we didn't understand him. Trump didn't understand him properly. Uh, they're very upset, the North Koreans, but North Koreans are whores. Kim's father and grandfather did the same thing with the United States. They always wanted to be a friend of the United States. Kim finally made the United States North Korea's friend for about, what, 30 days. Uh, took, a pic took pictures with Kim. First time a North Korean president by the name of Kim ever had his picture taken with the United States president. Just didn't happen. He went ahead and did it. He was told he shouldn't do it uh, by, the, by the experts in our government and the State Department, but he did it. And now 
we are in an adverse situation with North Korea. Nothing has been accomplished. And to make it even worse, the only country that can really help in this situation, because this is the only country that North Korea uh, looks up to, sucks up to, that is China. Now, why is China going to help us with North Korea when we've imposed all these tariffs on the products we sell to China? This guy's amazing who is our president. He is a destroyer of our country. Uh, staying with Trump for just a moment, Pruitt, EPA chief, uh, Scott Pruitt, lousy guy, dishonest. I want to go through the 15 or 16 things he's done. Uh, he was under investigation, and he was destroying the EPA. Uh, because Trump doesn't like the EPA, because the EPA imposed regulations on corporate America. They said this costs us extra money to make sure the water's clean and air's clean. Uh, and so Trump said, I'm going to get rid of the regs. And Prude's job was to get rid of the regs, and Trump's been getting rid of them. But who does he replace Scott Pruitt with? He replaces him with Andrew Wheeler. Let me tell you who Andrew Wheeler is. He is a former coal lobbyist. We ain't ever going to see coal come back, but he's a former coal lobbyist. And he worked for Senator Jim Inhofe, of a Republican out of Oklahoma for years. Inhofe is a climate denier. He does not believe in global warming. He believes this is all bullshit that people say. It's all this stuff's happening with the environment because of global warming. So he replaced one bad guy with another guy because Trump ain't going to give up. He wants to destroy the EPA. Actually, he wants to get rid of the EPA. Let me talk about ICE. ICE, Immigration and Custom Enforcement Agents. Those great guys who don't, they take the children, they can't find them. They're the ones who separated the parents from the children, et cetera, et cetera. Their job is to enforce customs and immigration laws, all right? Uh, to arrest, process, detain illegal or criminal aliens. They're permitted to carry guns. They came into being one year after 9-11. We realized we needed more help with regard to immigrants and aliens because of what occurred on 9-11. So we formed Homeland Security, and, this Homeland Security, and part of it was a police, they had to have an, a police group and the police group became known as ICE, the, the initials. And they're the ones that are really screwing up, and there's a big cry now, need to abolish ICE. Well, i got to tell you, I don't think we should abolish ICE. I think we've got to reform ICE, because I believe these men who are working for ICE, they're Gestapo agents right now and SS people, no question about it. But this is what they're paid to do. This is what their employer, the United States government, tells them to do. We need a reformation because we do need these type of enforcement agents. We need a reformation. We need a new leader in there and retrain these guys so they don't have to be the Gestapo agents, okay? That's what they are. People who take babies from a mother's breast, people who take children and separate them from the parents, ch people who can't find the parents today or, and or the children to relocate them back together again, Something is wrong. We've got to worry it out, work it out. Now, where did this shit, I'm going to say it this way, really come from and made its greatest impact? Our elected officials, our congressmen and senators, don't read or have their staff read 
the bills that they vote on, and this is a perfect example. In late January, early February, uh, the government had been shut down twice, I think, for a couple of days each time, and we had to have a new financial bill. Uh, it was like, what, 22 inches thick? And we had to have a new financial bill. And they always add on to these, so the government could open again. They add on to these things, little things they want to get done that have nothing to do with finances. Nobody paid any attention, but Trump had put in near the end, in the back of the bill, uh, phraseology whereby ICE became, in effect, a private army answerable only to the president. A private army answerable only to the president. And Trump's using them. And Trump will use them someday to hurt the people of the United States if he has any intentions of being president forever. And you understand what I mean. And this is because these idiots we send to Washington don't do their job. They don't. What they're voting on, they really don't know. Which brings me to now, uh, oh, i got to move on here because i only got a few more minutes. I want to get into uh, some quotes, if I may, here. Uh, there's Marlo Nance is a professor at Princeton. Uh, he's on TV quite, quite a bit on uh, MSNBC uh, discussing politics, etc. And he says, hold on a minute, let me get to my notes on this right here he says where is it oh he said in an up piece over the weekend he said we're quote on the cusp of quote again losing the american constitutional republic forever trump is destroying us that's what lewis says he agrees in effect that's how he says it even worse this is what he said and he may be right here We're going to find out again this week when Trump meets with Putin. He said, Putin is Trump's, quote, handler, and we're in a, quote, Benedict Arnold moment. Putin is Trump's handler, and we're in a Benedict Arnold moment. I read this over the weekend. I don't know who wrote it, who said it. I made a note of it, and I forgot to put down where it came from, but it fits. And the quote is, America needs more patriotism, not Trumpism. America needs more patriotism, not Trumpism. Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill, uh, he knew how to say things. He knew how to rally his country in a time of war. He, he knew how to make his country win. And he knew how to talk to them and get them going. And it's 1940. I think it was this day or yesterday, 1940, and the Battle of Britain had begun. Uh, Germany bombed every night. Every night they bombed for three and a half months London. Now, Britain, England, only had 600 airplanes. The Germans had 1,300. Nevertheless, the English beat the shit, excuse the way I'm putting it, out of the Germans. And after three and a half months, Hitler said, my God, I'm losing my Air Force. You know, get their asses out of there. He he issued the notice the same day that they pulled out. They never bombed London again because he couldn't afford to keep losing all these planes and men. And Churchill said after this three and a half months later, and I quote, you've heard this, but it's, it's so nice to repeat. Quote, never in the field of human conflict 
was so much owed by so many to so few. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Now, Trump on the 12th, that's the day after tomorrow, is going to be in London. And you know the English people are very upset with him for a number of reasons. He canceled his previous trip because they were going to protest him. He's going in there this Wednesday, uh, and they're going to protest him again. The people are ready to protest him. The mayor of London gave permission for a giant orange balloon, okay, that looked giant orange balloon that looks like Trump wearing a diaper, wearing a white diaper, to be flown near Parliament. It's part of the, quote, stop Trump, unquote, a protest that are planned for his visit. That's the show for this week. Hope you have enjoyed. I enjoyed doing it. And I've got to tell you again, I thank you for listening. My numbers go up every week. I can't believe it. Uh, my sponsors love it. My numbers go up every week. There are more of you who listen to this show. Uh, I know most of you listen to it not Tuesday night at 9 because it's archived. You listen to the archived version whenever you have a chance. I appreciate you doing it. Please keep it up. And ask your friends to listen if you like, since you like it so much. Irma and Me is still out there. You can buy it at Amazon.com, $14.95. Worth reading. The only uh, book about the hurricane, Irma. And it's funny and it's sad at the same time. Thank you again for joining me. I look forward to being with you next week. <laughs>